Welcome back to the NP Dude. This is episode 10 of the NP Dude, and I'm Jeff, giving nurse practitioners a voice. Today I want to talk about living wills, power of attorneys, uh, last will and testament, and DNRs, all that good stuff, because there was um, a comment on one of the Facebook groups that, that started a discussion about, it was to clarify some information, and, and I'd say 98% of the information was right, but that 2% was wrong enough that I think it was worth getting some more clarification. And I think we could just make sure that everybody really understands why it's important for everyone, not just healthcare providers, but everyone to have documents in place. So when when something happens, what what document's going to control and, and who should I trust with these documents and how do I make this work? And so it's it's very confusing. It can be confusing even for attorneys, and that's why it may, it, it gets compounded as problems in the hospital because documents aren't done right. And uh, and I've actually gone through that and had seen those problems happen. So I want to thank everybody for listening over the weekend. It, I it was really impressive. Yesterday was an awesome day. A uh, lot of downloads of the audio files. A lot of lot of information coming in and out. Good comments on the Facebook forums that I'm seeing. And uh, I'm still not getting people challenging me, though. I, I really, really want to peop- hear people say, you know what, I don't believe you, or I don't think that's the way it works, or, you know, I don't agree, or, um, you know, I'm, I want to hear people tell me that I'm wrong, because that's how I'm going to learn, too, and make sure that I'm not only just, just out here talking into the ether to, to to be cathartic at this point, but just to, to see if, if uh, you know, if, if I'm in the right direction on my own path. So, that that was encouraging to see a lot of people were listening. So thanks for doing that. Um, I want to jump right in and, and just get into it. And and I kind of just was thinking about this. And I, I don't do a lot of, of review of information when I'm doing legal stuff. So um, I talk in a lot of generalities. And I, and I think that's important because if I'm giving you very specific rules and laws, number one, there's people all over the country. And I've had people in China already. I had four people in China over the weekend listening to the show <laughs> maybe they were hackers but either way but i'm gonna i'm gonna choose to believe they were listening and not hacking my website um so people all over the, the country are listening and and if i go into very specific rules that are in ohio then i i run the risk of giving bad and i'm not going to say it's advice but bad information because this is not legal advice. I'm not giving anyone specific legal advice on what they should do and how they should go prepare their documents. This is all very personal. So take this into consideration. And my first recommendation is always, especially with legal stuff, talk to your attorney. If you don't have an attorney, the, the, my advice as, as an attorney um, is to talk to your local bar association and see who's reputable. They have lists of who, who does what in their area and will be more than happy to point you in the direction to find a good local attorney that knows the laws where you live. So that, that's my recommendation, and, and you should always do that first. The, um, to jump right in, when I, when I was looking at this, this idea, I was thinking, okay, what are the different documents that I've seen have – become problems and what have I actually seen working in the ICU people bringing in to me at the end of life saying give this to the doctor I want this done and people not knowing what's in the documents and I've seen four basic documents three basic documents and one which was more of an order and and you guys will probably know what that is just by me giving that hint the first document is the last will and testament and this is basically 
your wishes, the will means your will, right? I mean, that's, it's pretty obvious, but people don't think of it that way. They think it's some magical document. It's your desire, your intent for something to happen. And your last will and testament is that simply that it's the last one because it happens at your death. It becomes enforceable the moment your heart stops and you are no longer alive. The, the minute you achieve room temperature, that document is in full force and effect. And there's a whole laundry list of problems on how, how they can get done incorrectly and Scrivener's error and um, which is the lawyer just screws up and put the wrong name in the wrong spot or whether there's um, competing wills and which one's the latest and whether there was fraud or intent to defraud or execution problem. That's all specific to your attorney that you want to talk to him about. And they're going to talk to you at, at length about which document you need for your area. But that's really the big thing that we want to talk about here is that it's your wishes after you're dead. So do we care as a healthcare provider? No, I could care less about what's in their last will and testament. I don't care who their car goes to or who their house or jewelry goes to. None of my business. Now, if I think that there was fraud in the committing of, of it getting executed, then maybe I need to, you know, talk to, you know, give a tip to somebody to say, hey, you may want to talk to the probate judge about that. But it's none of my business. It's absolutely none of my business. It's outside of the scope of what we do. Now, you might see a bad attorney write into a last will and testament provisions that will look similar to the other documents we're going to talk about. And that can make things really confusing as a, as a practitioner if you don't know what a last will and testament is and you see a provision in there that says, uh, last will and testament, this is my last, hereby my last will and testament made by such and such on such and such date. And these are the things I want done. And inside there, they jam in a provision that says, in the event that I become incapacitated, I no longer want life-saving measures, blah, blah, blah. Not enforceable. It's in a last will and testament. That document doesn't kick in until you're dead. So I don't care about last, you know, life-saving measures when you're already room temperature. We're not doing CPR after you're dead and gone. You know, you're in the morgue. I'm not doing anything for that. So... That document, when you see those types of things, you just just to know if you're doing inpatient or acute care, or you're a, a farmer or a mechanic or you know whatever, and you're getting a will and test last will and testament done, and you see a provision like that, you should know. Wait a second, I'm already dead. What does this have to do with this? And if if they say, "Whoops, I didn't mean to do that," then you realize that it was just a mistake. Or if they try to tell you that that's supposed to be in there, they don't know what the hell they're doing. Find another lawyer. Fire them and go find another one. So that that's a good tip for everybody, not just for healthcare providers, to know that if there's something about what's to be done while you're alive in your last will and testament, it's crap. Doesn't mean anything. Great words, good information, uh, unenforceable. And if somebody's using that to hang their hat on, to to um, you know say I don't want all these life saving measures, but then you have maybe some interested you know with financial interest of a of a son maybe collecting social security or a daughter collecting you know some kind of welfare or something like that off of that person, or they have some weird interest for keeping them alive or they just have this desire to keep them alive because they don't want to see mom go emotionally they can't handle it yet then that causes that problem of them trying to use a document that really isn't enforceable. And you can tell them, look, that's not enforceable. That's not the right document. I can't do anything with that.
Now, that's the last will and testament. Now, we've kind of established from a healthcare standpoint, I don't care about it. So put it on the shelf. Just know that it's out there. You might see them. And you might see them and, and people try to pass that off as the right document, even though they don't not maybe not willing to do that. They just don't know. And I've seen people bring in envelopes with all of the documents in one place and people, you know, nurses coming to me. I've had on numerous occasions people from other units in the hospital coming and finding me in the ICU saying, Jeff, is this right? I know you're, I've heard you're a lawyer. Are you the lawyer on the unit? <laughs> and I said, I'm like the, the hospital lawyer, right? And I'm like, I'm not giving legal advice, but hypothetically speaking, you know, because I, I don't want to get myself in trouble, right? Even though I know the right answer, I got to be careful. So the second document that you could run into is going to be the, the living will. So think of a timeline and you've got, you know, birth, you know, all your life events and then your death marked and at the point of your death, you have an arrow that has an arrow pointing for to the right of that of your death. That's your last will and testament. Well, from your birth or execution of your living will, whenever maybe you're 18 years old and you make a living will, that arrow going all the way to your death to, from that time you execute that document is your living will. It's what you want done while you're alive. Okay, but it's at the end of your life. And that's the debate that we always get into is what's the definition of the end of your life. And certain people will say certain things and, and that's a, you know, kind of a, a, maybe a religious decision or uh, an emotional decision or a cultural decision. And, and you run into that all the time. This is where the living will, in my opinion, typically lawyers blow it in my opinion, because According to the lawyer's view of last living will, last or a living will, not a last last will and testament, but a living will, is that it's at the end of your life d decisions is how they and they they conveniently categorize it as such. So it could be life saving measures, it could be CPR, it could be the ideas that you think of with respect to a DNR order. And it's those types of things. Do I want a feeding tube? Do I not want a feeding tube? Do I want um, fluids hydration or not fluid hydration? Do I want all this you know, stuff, heroic measures or not heroic measures? And people don't think about it that much because when they're at the lawyer's office, the lawyer doesn't want to get into the weeds on that because in honesty, they don't know all the situations that could happen because they're not healthcare. And two... They don't want to spend the time to do it. They already, they're usually getting paid, you know, I'll do your, your will for 500 bucks and I'll do a power of attorney for 250 or whatever it is. Or I'll do your living will for another 150 or whatever it is. And so it's usually a base rate. They usually don't work hourly at that base and at that level. And if you are working hourly with someone like this, they're the, the guys that, you know, are servicing the, the millionaires and making, a, making a, a ton of money and able to pay for those things. So usually the lawyers blow it and they, they make it very broad and they don't take into consideration, you know, when you're in the ICU and you see somebody coming in and, and they get a belly surgery for, uh, you know, diverticulitis or something or perfect colon or whatever. And next thing you know, you realize that maybe they're an alcoholic and they're going through DTs and you put them on, intubate them for a couple, you know, a week or two. And what's the question? They, they, they have a living will that says no life-saving measures, which means no, no feeding tube, no intubation. Well, where are we going with this? Do you really mean that that's 
is this your end of life? No, it's your DTing, and you know we we just can't sedate you enough. It's not that you're gonna die. It's just we got to get you through this rough patch. And so that's where attorneys typically drop the ball. They just don't even want to get into the weeds on that stuff. So your living will is is another document. I tend to when I write them and have written them, and I haven't done a lot of living wills, but I've done a handful of them. I did them more like what the next document is. And I've included a lot of provisions that are more specific than what most attorneys put in a living will. And the next document is your power of attorney. Now, there's a ton of power of attorneys out there. Power of attorney is just a document that says, in case I can't do something, this person steps in and does it for me. And the in case could be, I don't live in that state or... um, it's just for the ease of execution of documents. If you go buy a house in some states, you'll have a power of attorney in there that has uh, gives the closing um, agency the ability to execute the documents for you, just so that you don't have to be there signing all the documents. You sign a power of attorney for you know closing the, 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 on the house, and that power of attorney kicks in, and it they step in your shoes and do it for you. Same thing. So, what's the power of attorney with healthcare? So the durable power of attorney for healthcare is you are assigning someone and it's generally advisable to not be an emotional person that is, you know, a daughter or a son that's really, you know, your your best friend is in, you know, in older years as your child and you assign to them all of the um you know, ability to make decisions on your healthcare. And maybe it's not in their best interest (laughs) at that point when it's emotional to be doing that. So it's usually advisable to make it a, you know, a trusted friend or, um, a trusted, you know, someone in your congregation or something like that, that has no interest in anything other than just your, your, your benefit. So the durable power of attorney is just that. And, and so I've seen, a ton of different names for these. I've seen power attorney for healthcare. I've heard, seen durable power attorney for healthcare. I've seen affidavit for um, healthcare decisions. I've seen all these things. And an affidavit is basically just an out of court statement made for the benefit of in court purposes. So an affidavit is just a document that is as though it was made in court. And usually they're used. Um, for probate type issues, it could be used for other issues as well, but it, it, it's, it's the same thing. It, it just depends on what your state calls it. So that's your third document is your power of attorney. And keep in mind, when I've written power of attorneys, I've done a, a good number of power of attorneys for people um, for different things. And what I've done is I try to find out the scope of what people are really trying to do with these because you could have a, a power of attorney for healthcare. You could have a power of attorney for finances. You could have a, a power of attorney for taxes. You could have a power of attorney to dispose of income or interest or uh, assets. You could have a power of attorney for um, running a company. You know, if it's a company-owned business, uh, or a, a family-owned business, or things like that. So, power of attorneys can be used for everything. So, what I would try to do is find out, you know, what's the intent of this purpose, you know, for this individual, and then I just make them separate provisions within the same document. So, as long as, and that's how typically most people want them. Is here's the scenario: someone comes in and says, um, or it's usually a friend or a family member, or somebody not usually a family member, but you know, extended, you know, in-law type family. Um, 
says, you know what, uh, Grandma is 75 or 80, and she's doing pretty good right now, but we're, we're just really thinking about what's going to happen in the next five years, you know, as she starts to go down, you know, in her memory, and, and you know, if hopefully not, but, you know, maybe she's forgetting a little bit more, and maybe we're getting concerned that she's got, she's in early stages of Alzheimer's, something like that, and we really want to get her wishes done now. So I'll say, okay, here's what I would recommend. And I don't typically do the wills and stuff, but I have done some. I'll say, get a will if you want a will, if you haven't done one. Usually they have one at that point, but they haven't thought about health care. So I'll say, okay, you should probably have a living will. Let's do your living will, and we'll do a power of attorney as well. And I usually make them look almost the same uh, from my standpoint. But the power of attorney, again, will typically give more provisions in it, how I write it. So that's why I take the healthcare portion and I basically copy and paste that into the living will and I make them look the same because I don't want to have two competing documents out there and then the person, you know, in the stress of everything going on and the named individual that's the proxy stepping in saying, look, uh, I got one document here that says one thing and I got another document saying another thing and I don't know what to do. I don't know what, I don't know what grandma really wants. And that's the last thing you want to do when you're stressed out and grandma's, you know, in, about to be intubated. That's, that's, that's not a good day for anybody. So I usually will put the provision from the, the power of attorney into the living will. Now, functionally, and this is pretty standard across the country. In Ohio, it's true, but I'm not sure everywhere. So please check with your local state, and I'm not giving advice at this one. But in Ohio, the living will trumps a power of attorney. So here's the scenario. Grandma executed a living will when she was 65. She's you know retiring, figured she'd get all her documents in order, got a last will and testament in place, and everything's good with that. Did a living will, but didn't do a, a, a durable power of attorney for health care. Well, Grandma's now 85, and um, she's not sure if she has a living will. She doesn't know what documents she has anymore, but she's, you know, she has a will. She's got a pile of papers over there. And someone says, you know what? You should probably get a durable power of attorney and figure out what you want to do. But in 20 years, grandma went from, I don't want any life-saving measures or I just, you know, no heroic measures, but I, you know, keep me alive as long as you can. I don't mind if maybe a, a tube feeding tube or something, you know, feeding tubes, not a big deal if I get a, a peg tube. I want to live. I want to see my grandkids, all that stuff. She said that when she's 65. Now she's 85. She's like, I don't want peg tubes. I'm, I'm good. I've lived a great life. I'm, I'm ready to go. Whenever it's my time, it's my time. And she executes a durable power of attorney that says, I want absolutely nothing done. So now you've got two competing documents. And they're two different types of documents. And you come to me, and I'm in the ICU, and I'm sitting there as a nurse, and I see grandma's not doing good, but she's still... You know, she doesn't have any life-saving measures going yet, but she's getting antibiotics. She may be getting some fluids and stuff, and, and nothing big deal. And she's not doing the greatest, and a granddaughter comes in with a pile of documents and says, here's all her papers, figure it out, and tell me what she wants. And grandma's not really, you know, she's sick, maybe she's septic, and she's not really talking well. She's not coherent. Crap. That's a problem, right? So now I got two documents. Which one rules? Well, the the, la the living will is going to trump the power of attorney, even though it's it's not in time, right? It was twenty years ago. It doesn't matter. Well, that's that's a problem. So now you're you have a, a person that is a proxy saying, I don't know what grandma really wanted. I'm going to um, do what grandma told me she wants to do, 
and that living will is sitting there. And now the do- the doctor, they say, you know, I don't want to do anything. I want to make her a DNR. And that doctor has a copy of that living will. Guess what? Doctor's going to follow the living will. Uh, I mean, they, they're supposed to. And they'll have two physicians agree. They have to, you know, and that's different in every state, I'm sure. But you have to have two independent physicians make the same medical decision that's, you know, this is, you know, end of life or not. And, you know, that's when that kind of kicks in. So that's where these problems get sticky. And, and there's no good answer because you want to do what's right for the person. You know what they wanted. You, you, but, but you have a legal document that's sitting there that's right in your face that says this is what this person's intent was. And they just weren't educated on what the documents meant. And that they, she should have updated her living will at the same time as doing her durable power of attorney. And that's a poor attorney doing a shitty job. Or someone getting it off the internet and not knowing. And that's why I always recommend talk to your attorney. Get it done. Because if you if you really didn't want somebody cracking your chest open and doing you know, breaking all your ribs with CPR and in reality um, they're gonna do it because the legal document says so, you know, a thousand bucks, you know, for a lawyer is not that much money compared to, you know, having broken ribs and you know, maybe being traked and pegged if that wasn't what you wanted and sitting there being conscious and aware of it, but not functionally able to do anything to say, to do have somebody do what you want. So this is kind of choppy and I know it's, it's hard to do because it's, it is a very complex discussion. Um, the, the last document though, and it's, it's not really even a document. It can be a document. It should be a document that's provided to the family, but it's associated with the DNR or the different variations by state that are out there. There's um, DNRs, there's different limited levels of DNR, there's um, do not intubate, there's um, do not um, use life-saving medications, there's no electric shock, there's no chest compression. So you can do a DNR specify and specify limitations in or out that you want as well, at least in Ohio. And what that does is the DNR is an order from the physician that the physician has reviewed with the patient, the family, the documents, all that stuff, and, and is giving the order to the staff what to do if this person goes downhill quick. That's all it is. A DNR is not a document that someone comes into the hospital with in their hand and says, here's my DNR. No, it doesn't work that way. The, the doctor gives the DNR. It's you can go in and say to the doctor, I would like this DNR. I want it to match this and he'll do that. But the order, the legal order is, is what is a DNR or the variations of, I know when I worked Cleveland clinic, we had like six different variations and you did check boxes and I would go through and explain them to people when, when we did that, here's this one, this one, this one, this one, and here's the differences, or do you want to do specify? And I would do a lot of specifies because I would go through with the patient, the family and, and say, do you want us to push on your chest? Cause you, you know, we, we make break your ribs and do, you know, it's, it's not like in the movies and you know, it's, it's when, when people see their loved one getting beat on, they usually say, stop. And so I, I let people know what it's really like. And, um, and I would do a lot of specifies in or out because a lot of people are like, yeah, you can give me the medicines. I don't care, but just don't beat on my chest. I don't want you cracking my ribs. Yeah, you can shock me. I don't care about the shock, but I don't want you, you know, doing chest compressions. Okay. So you can do that. And it gets confusing as a nurse, right? Because you call code, you're like, all right, let's take 10 minutes to figure out what's in their DNR. 
<laughs> that we'll start CPR if we need to. So it gets really confusing. And it's good bedside report was the hardest thing with those. And I, I took it to heart and tried to make sure that people were really aware of that because it was important to them. Um, but the, the document that I spent time with, with the patient was just setting the stage so that the physician could come in and then they had a signature spot on the bottom of it for the doctor. So we would talk about it, get it filled out, and then the doctor would come in, go through it with them, and then sign the order. And then it would get put into the computer. So that's the DNR. And just so that people out there know the difference, because if you are a patient, you know, and everybody's eventually going to die, right? So everybody could potentially have to deal with a DNR or a living will or all of these documents. It's, this is a valid discussion for everybody. But I think it's important to know the differences because when the words are being thrown around in an emotional um, situation, car wrecks, especially for younger adults and people are asking all these things and you don't know what the hell they're talking about and you're just scared and you're, you're worried about that person and all the things or maybe the fight you had before they got in the car, whatever, and you're not listening to those things, at least hearing them before that time and understanding a little bit about them might not make that decisions quite so stressful because you have that foundation. So hopefully this is beneficial. I'm, I'm going to call it now because we're at 25 minutes and it's a lot of information, but I would encourage you, if you have questions on this stuff, please email me at jeff at the npdude.com. Don't hesitate. I'll have, I have no problem helping people. I, I answer questions all the time on Facebook. I, I get emails all the time personally. Hey, you know, what's this mean? And, and, that's the main reason I went to law school, so I understand how this crap works in all aspects of my life. So I have no problem answering questions on this. I'm not going to give you the legal advice. We're going to talk in hypotheticals, but I'll give you my best guess and at least point you in the right direction with some language that you can get educated on the Internet. And that's always important when you're dealing with professionals because when you walk into their office, they hit a little clock like Bobby Fischer with the, with the timer playing chess. He hits that timer, and you're paying for it. So, you know, most, most lawyers aren't going to be on a contingent for this type of stuff. It's all on an hourly basis or a set fee, and you're going to get a basic thing. And, you know, usually if it's a set fee, you better be aware of what you're getting before you pay for it because you're going to probably be disappointed. So um, this will educate you hopefully a little bit about what to ask for and talk about. And I encourage you, if you are going to, and this is for everybody, not just healthcare providers, if you are going to get a living will, which I encourage you to do, uh, take it into your healthcare provider and take, uh, you know, five minutes of their time. If, and if they have a problem with going through that with you, they're not a good provider. Come to me <laughs> because it, it's important. And if they don't recognize the importance that it is, then I don't think I would want to be going to that provider. And, so, and, and providers take the five minutes to go through it with them and explain what it means. Um, what could happen, what the, what the issues are, what types of things could have to happen to them physically that they should be aware of in uh, maybe not an end-of-life situation, but something that is, you know, that GI surgery where you, you go through DTs and need to be intubated for a week, you know, and, and maybe maybe get a couple tube feedings just to keep your nutrition up. So that, that that's the, the, the key there for me uh, is to just help everybody on this one. The uh, the other thing is is keep the Facebook stuff going. I've had a couple shares on Facebook. I'm not getting a lot of shares. People aren't sharing it for some reason. I don't know if it's just not that good or if uh, it's the functionally it's not easy to do, or um, 
just trying to figure out why, how to get this to, to flow a little bit quicker out there. I'm doing some posts on Facebook pages and just kind of in saying, seeing people talking about issues and say, hey, I, I touched on this today and uh, take a listen. And that was a big way to do it. But um, you guys are helping. You share, like the Facebook page, like um, the individual episodes. If you, if you see something that you said, ooh, that was really good, hit, hit the like button on that episode. Uh, on the Facebook page. So so I'm getting some good feedback. Again, this is Jeff, the NP dude. Feel free to get in touch with me and like and share as much as possible. Thanks for listening, guys.